anybody here this morning still like baseball? Anybody still uh, care about baseball at all? A few people? Any Angels fans here? Any Angels fans? Now, I was like most of you, I didn't really care about baseball until last year when we moved up here. We moved up to Huntington Beach in June to see God plant this church, and all of a sudden, we started getting into the Angels. And I think it was because my son, my oldest son, Tyler, he's like an age where baseball's becoming interesting. We were throwing around in the backyard. He was hitting it over the backyard wall, a little wiffle ball. And so we got into the Angels. We started going to games. It was, I felt like, you know, a good dad passing on, you know, baseball to my son. And I, the truth is, like, I don't know if moms do this, but like most dads, I over-the-topped it, and I got more into baseball than he did. Any dads relate to that, right? right? And so uh, we started, and the Angels had a great year. Best record in baseball. Very exciting, right? My son came to me the other day. He's like, I don't like the angels anymore. I was like, no. Like, I've totally gotten into this thing. You know what I mean? Got like the Mike Trout stuffed animal in, in our room, you know? Like, like, what, like, what do you mean, you know? He's like, well, they traded my favorite player. And if you know anything about baseball, the angels traded my son's favorite player on the team, Howie Kendrick to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Any Dodgers fans here this morning? Dodgers fans, pretty happy about that trade, right? Yeah. We got somebody in the minor leagues for that, for that trade. You got our number four batter, right? And my son, he's just like, Dad, I think I might become a Dodgers fan. And I'm like, a house divided. You know, I mean, like, what's going on? You know? Because his favorite player is now on the other team, and you're either on one team or the other. Today we're going to look at a sermon that makes it very clear, maybe one of the most clear passages in all of the Bible, that everybody here in this room is either on one team or you're on the other team. Open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and let's pick up where we left off. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 4 here. Is where, that's where we're going to pick it up today, 4 to 11. And I'll start reading in verse 1 just to review what we talked about last week, but we're going to go all the way to verse 11. Uh, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you got one of our Bibles here uh, that we get you, this is the first time we're actually going to turn the page here in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So follow along with me as I read. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's start in verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I just got to warn you right here from the top. 
uh, that this sermon, as we get into what this passage says here in the scripture, this might contradict things that you've heard before, uh, maybe at other churches or, or maybe just things that you've heard from other Christians, or maybe this might even contradict your own personal experience maybe even your own testimony here this morning. But what this passage is going to lead us to very clearly is that there are two teams, two sides, however you want to say it. There are two types of people that are here in this room this morning. And there are people, it describes them, just look through the verses with me again. It says that you, referring to uh, Christian people here, the people that he's writing to, the Thessalonian church, you are not in darkness. No, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So there's two different ways to say the same idea. We're using a, an analogy here. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. You're either of the day or you're of the night. And, and if you look back at verse 3, where we ended last week, where sudden destruction is coming upon them... See, we're referring there to a group of people who are not saved. We've been saying all along, we've been talking about the rapture, this time where Jesus is going to come to get his people, and the Christians are going to go up before the judgment comes what? Down. That's what we've been saying over and over again. We're Christian people, we're going up, and then judgment is going to come down. And the coming down upon them, not upon the Christian people. So now we change the tense again, and instead of talking about them, now we're talking about you. We're talking about Christians, because Christians, we're going to draw a contrast here between them and you. Christian people, we're not of the darkness. We're not of the night. We're of the light. We're of the day. In fact, it says we're children of these things. We're so a part of them. They're our, our identity. They're who we are now. And then as he continues... In verse 6, he's going to take it even to some other general analogies to say the same thing. He's going to say, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let us be awake. So that's another contrast. Just like light and darkness, there's going to be those who are spiritually asleep. And then there's going to be those who, who have been awakened, who are alert, who are ready. And then it's going to say, and be sober. Just to clarify, those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. So four different ways here. Light, darkness, day, night, awake, asleep, drunk, sober. Four different ways that he's saying you're either one or the other. Every, you're either them or you're you in our, in our passage. You're either one of God's people or you're not one of God's people. I mean, that is what verses here in our passage are making very clear. He is just adding on language upon language to make this distinction. That's basically what happens all the way from verse 4 all the way down to verse 8 is you're like this, not like this. Now, doesn't that just kind of immediately, that kind of 100% you're on this side or the other side, that black and white kind of thinking. See, don't we just kind of naturally, intuitively kind of resist that a little bit? Don't we like even like kind of like to bash like black and white thinking so absolute, right? That, I mean, because there's a whole lot of gray in the matter. That's what we like to say these days. Well, there's no gray about people's salvation. We just got to make that very clear. There's no in the middle. You can't be kind of saved, right? 
You can't be kind of there with God. You can't have your feet in both worlds. There is coming a day of judgment, and the Bible is very clear about this, when God will separate the sheep from the goats. When Jesus will separate his people from those who are not his people. That everybody in the world right now is on one of two teams. And when they die or when the judgment comes, it will be clear what team they were really on. That's what this is saying here. So a lot of people, their story is, well, I kind of became a Christian then, but then I kind of lived like I shouldn't have lived, but I would have called myself a Christian during that time. But then, you know, it wasn't until this time in my life when I really actually started living it. A lot of people who are calling themselves Christians, while at the same time admitting by their own words that their lifestyle does not match their claim. That their profession of faith in Jesus Christ does not go along with their practice of faith in their real life. And so many people are saying that. And so many churches are even acting like that's a possible reality. That I would say most Christians today that I meet would consider themselves not of the light or of the darkness, but of some kind of in-between. And there's no in-between here in this passage. In fact, when you start to look for it, it's very hard to find the in-between anywhere in the entire Bible. This is not how the Bible speaks of it. Let's just go to one statement from Jesus Christ that I think is super clear. Go to John chapter 8, verse 12. Now, this is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, trying to draw a distinction. I'd just like you to hear straight from Jesus Christ in a verse here that is a very powerful statement of his deity. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying that he is God. And John is recording all of these conversations, all of these statements made by Christ, so that you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the point of the Gospel of John. And look what he says here. In John chapter 8, verse 12, and there's a lot to the context, he says this at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booze, and what they would do at this feast This is a feast where everybody would live in tents in Jerusalem to remember how God had led them through the wilderness in the Old Testament. And one thing that God did for them when he led them through the wilderness is he led them as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And so to remember that God had led the people through the wilderness at this feast of booths where Jesus is speaking here in John chapter 8, they would light this massive fire in the temple every night to symbolize this pillar of fire that led God's people in the wilderness. And with this massive fire being lit behind him, Jesus says these words in John chapter 8, verse 12, one of the most definitive statements perhaps in all of the scripture. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have The light of life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Because, why? Here, your identity is new. You have now the light of life. Words straight from Jesus Christ, right there. One definitive statement. He's standing up in front of a crowd. There's a fire going on, probably. And he is mastering the moment. And you're looking at this light to remember what God did in the past. Let me tell you who I am right now in the present, Jesus says. I'm the light of the world. And if you know me, you will be in the light as I am in the light. That's what he says. Because you will have the light of life. Now, if we could get into the Greek language, 
okay? And I don't want to turn this into a, a, a classroom here, but if you were to look at this passage in the Greek and you were to study it, okay, when it says they will not walk in darkness, it's a double negative in the Greek language, ume. We're basically taking the two words that mean no in Greek and we're putting them back to back. It's the strongest possible way you could imply a negative in the Greek language. So will not walk in darkness. It could even be a soft translation. You could say cannot walk in darkness. Impossible for that person to. There's no possibility of that person who has the light of Jesus continuing in their present pattern of sin. Impossible. That's what it's saying. Now, I know we all have come here today with a lot of things. We come here with our own personal experience of our life story up to this point. And we come here with what we've heard people say in the name of the Bible, in the name of Jesus for, throughout our lives, however much you've gone to church. So you're not coming in here a blank slate, but I just wish that everybody could kind of throw out what you came in here with. And let's just examine what Jesus Christ says right here, because Jesus said this and he meant it to be listened to. And he wanted you to know that he is the light of the world, okay? That he is the one who said, let there be light in the beginning. And he is the one who will light up the new Jerusalem with the light of his glory in the end. This light theme is massive in the scripture. And he's saying, I'm the light of the world. And if you're going to claim that you're in me, if you're going to claim that you know me, if you're going to say, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian. Well, let me tell you something that will define you. You will not walk in darkness. You can't, see, because you have the light. You have the light of the world now in you. If you are in Christ, then the light of the world is in you, and you will walk that way. That's what he's saying. Now, that might feel like a strong statement. It is a strong statement. That's the point of what he's saying here. Okay? So point number one, let's put it down like this. We want to identify yourself. You need to identify yourself in Christ. If you are a Christian, then what you're saying is you have a new life in Christ. You've been placed into Christ. Your old life is gone. Your new life has come. It's like you've died to your sin, and you've risen to this new life in Jesus. Well, let's just talk about Jesus for a second. Let's identify ourselves with him. Does Jesus sin? Let's ask that question here today. Does Jesus walk in darkness? Can there be any darkness with Jesus at all? Okay, so how dare we? then claim to be in Jesus Christ and to walk in darkness. What a liar we make him and what a liar we make of ourselves. There is no darkness in Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, he's saying, then you have the light. He calls himself the light of the world here in John 8, 12, but in Matthew 5, 16, what does he call us? The light of the world, see? So let that light shine. And how could you even not let it shine if you've been lit up by Jesus Christ? Here's good news. Once Jesus turns the light switch on, it can never be turned off. That's the truth, my friends. Okay? And I just wish our houses worked that way. Anybody else wish our houses just worked that way? I mean, when I was growing up, I, I, had, I, I had a hard time turning off the light. I don't know if anybody else has ever had this problem. But my dad, he paid this thing that I'd never heard of at that time called an electric bill. I don't know if anybody knows about this. And apparently I was just oblivious to the reality of this because I'd walk out of my room and the light would still be on, right? And he, he would be like, half a job, Bob strikes again. Everybody, there he is. Didn't turn his light off. And he made me start paying him a nickel every time he found the light on in my room. Anybody else have a dad like this, right? 
I mean, who could find that many nickels? You know what I mean? We don't really use them that much, right? See, that's, people are acting, when you, when you hear some people talk about being saved, when they got, when Jesus, when they met Jesus, they'll say, when Jesus saved me. See, see they'll, they'll act like, and since I met Jesus here, well, for a while, the light switch was off. And then it kind of came back on here. And then it went off here again. And now the light switch is back on, so I'm good now. No, I'm here to tell you, if the light switch is off, if you're walking in darkness, then you don't know Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying right here. It's clarifying. It's not about your profession. It's about your practice. It's about how you live. See, we've got this really bad idea in our minds. And one phrase that has just ruined it for us is this whole idea of rededicating your life to Christ. Who's heard that phrase before? Let's just talk about that right now. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Rededicating your life to Christ. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a youth pastor. Youth pastors are very suspicious people if you ever meet these guys, okay? I used to be a youth pastor. That's how I identified myself for a decade. And I would go to camps, and here's what they would say. They'd be like, have the youth pastor meeting at the beginning of camp, and you think, oh, how godly all these youth pastors getting together. Here's what they would say at these meetings. You want the inside story? Here's what they'd say. Hey, on Tuesday night, a lot of your kids are going to get saved, and on Thursday night, a lot of your kids are going to rededicate their life to Christ. The, the service is really slamming this summer. That's the kind of stuff they would say in these meetings. Okay? Rededicate your life to Christ. Like basically, a Christian person who knows they're not living like a Christian, so they need to re-up as a Christian person. Okay. That's the idea. Like I claim the light switch is on, but really it's turned off, so I guess this time I need to really flick it on. And so we have this whole idea of rededicating our life to Christ that I think is very confusing. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. Now, now let's just say, could there be a Christian person who really has been saved by Jesus Christ, who has the light of life, and they're still going through the motions of being a Christian person, but they kind of are losing their love, they're losing their first love, they're losing their motivation. When it comes to reading the Bible and praying, they've kind of lost that pep in their step. I mean, could it be possible as a Christian, you could lose your first love and you need to get back to your first love for Jesus Christ? Yes, 100%. I mean, we can go to Revelation chapter 2, and Jesus says that to a church, that they're doing all these good things, but they've lost what it's really all about, a love for Jesus. But that's not what I'm talking about here this morning. I'm talking about people who will say that I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, or I walked an aisle when I was a youth, or a, a decade ago, I really turned my life around, but then, since that time... I haven't really walked, I haven't really walked with Christ, they'll say, or I haven't really been doing what I should be doing, or I've, I've kind of went back to my old life, or darkness. People will say all kinds of phrases like that. They're not continuing to do the good things, they're going back to the things they know they shouldn't do. Now, can that person rededicate their life to Christ, or does that person still in their sin, and they need to repent of their sin, see? Which one is it? Well, let's go back to this one time I prayed a prayer and then didn't follow through. Who wants to rededicate to that? There wasn't much dedication there to begin with. See? See, there's many people who are being told this idea that they can rededicate to something they never had in the first place because if you really have the light of life, you live it out. See? A lot of people are being deceived by this idea. And look what it says here in 1 John. Now, the book of 1 John, we refer to it a lot because we're trying to define here at our church what it even means to be a Christian. And there's so much confusion about this. 
And the whole point of 1 John is that you would know that you're a Christian. And here's how 1 John works. It works like our text here this morning. It says you're either on this team or you're on this team. And it eliminates this middle ground that we try to create with our lives. So it says you're either of the light or the darkness. That's how 1 John begins. It starts with that analogy. And then it'll say you either obey or you disobey. You either love or you hate. You either love God or you love the world. And it'll be continually pushing you until you feel uncomfortable. You have to go to one side or the other. And the Holy Spirit either gives you confidence that you are saved because you end up on the right team, Team Jesus, or the Holy Spirit convicts you that you're not saved because the truth is you're still walking in sin. Now, for chapters, he makes these distinctions just like our passage does. Are you sober or are you drunk? Are you awake or are you asleep? And then finally, he just says it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. He just says it straight out in clear language. No more analogies. No more specific examples. Let's just say it in in a clear way. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in Jesus, there is no sin. So no one who abides in him, no one who has a relationship with Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Not yourself, not your family, not not your church. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God, the reason God sent his one and only Son, the reason he came, the reason the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. Very clear verse. If you want to underline this, if you want to circle this, if you want to memorize it, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Or if you want to say, whoever follows me cannot walk in darkness, but has the light of life. That's what it's saying there. That if your story here this morning is, I met Jesus at this event, and it was great, and I loved it, and it felt so sincere, and it felt so right, but the truth is, I kept on the practice of sinning in my life, then you didn't really meet Jesus, is what it's saying right here. It would be so helpful if that's even how we could talk about testimonies here at this church. Not even like, when did you profess faith, but almost like, when did the practice of your life really change? That's salvation. That's what it's saying right here, that nobody who's been born of God, nobody who's got that new life and is really in Jesus Christ can keep on sinning. Now, I know some people might be thinking, common objection that we that we bring up today. Well, nobody's perfect. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Well, nobody here is claiming to be perfect, much less me. I'm not perfect. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about the direction of your life. What this passage just said is your life is defined by one of two possibilities, and we can use a lot of analogies. Let's just get straight to it. Are you sinning or are you righteous? The sinners, it says here, are of the devil. The righteous, it says here, are of Christ. Which one are you? Now, is that making you uncomfortable that I'm saying it like that? Because that's where we're at in the world. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't really want to say I'm righteous because that sounds like I'm self-righteous. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the righteousness that is imputed to you by Jesus Christ that then radically changes your life and allows you to say no to sin. Do you walk like that or do you still live in sin? 
That's what it means here. What's your practice? What's your habit? Walk is the word it likes to use for it over and over again. How do you conduct yourself? What's the pattern for you? Your walk. There's nobody who knows Jesus whose walk is sin. That's what the Bible's saying. And so if you're in Christ, you will live that way. Go back to our passage now. Now that we've defined that distinction that's being made in our passage, what this passage is then is an encouragement to Christian people. At least these verses so far, verse 7 and 8, it's saying, let, verse 6, 7, and 8, it's saying, let us not sleep. Let us keep awake and let us be sober. If you have the light, let the light shine. If you have the power to say no to sin and to live for Jesus, well, let me encourage you here this morning, my friend. Live for Jesus Christ. And if you've been awakened to the glorious reality that is the good news of Jesus, that he died for your sin and rose again so you could have a new life, man, be awakened to that here this morning. If, you, if it was like you were drunk, if it was like you were under the influence of something controlling you, your sin, and it's like you got sobered up and you left that influence behind you, and now you see life clearly, and you're alert, and you're sober-minded, you're able to see life for how it really is, then live that way is what it's saying here today. If you've been saved, live like it. We've got this saying that we like to throw out, once saved, always saved. Anybody ever heard that statement before? I think that's 100% true. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm not saying today that anybody can lose their salvation. If you're saved, you will always be saved. And here's the way I like to say it. Once saved, always live like you're saved. Because that's what the Bible says you're going to do. Not perfectly, but that'll be your direction, your pattern. People will be able to see it in your life. So it uses two specific sins, and it kind of applies them in a very general way. Two commands that it gives to the Christians here, the you, if you're in Christ here this morning. Two things it says. It says, let us be awake and let us be sober. And it's applying these things in a very general sense, but they're also getting to two very specific commands in the scripture about how we're to conduct ourselves. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and you'll see these same thoughts all together in Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesian church. I mean, really, he goes through the same exact thought process here in Ephesians 5 as he does in 1 Thessalonians 5. I mean, he, you can say, let's start all the way back in verse 8. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. And this whole, we're going to be reading here for a while, working our way through it. First, he's going to start in the general sense. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. It's not like, well, you were dark and then you kind of, you know, you kind of became like, I don't know, you know, twilight there for a while and, and now you're, you're light. No, you went straight from darkness to light. Now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And so try to discern here. Try to see the difference between the light and the dark. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them with your light. When your light shines in, the darkness will be exposed around you. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, here's, a, here's some quotes from the Old Testament mashed together. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So here's a call for salvation. Hey, if you're sleeping, if you're still in the dark, if you're still in the night, if you're still in your sin, 
Wake up, it says. Arise. And let Jesus Christ shine his light on you. And once you bask in the beauty and glory of the light of Jesus Christ, you're not going to go back to the darkness. You're going to shine for him. You're going to walk as a child of the light. And so wake up, it says, and come alive. And then it's interesting, it gets into practical living right away. I mean, it's been talking about practical living, and now it gets right back to it, verse 15. So look carefully then how you walk. So let's all take a moment this morning and let's think, how do we conduct ourselves? Is it it in line with Christ? We should walk not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So here again, we have this other thing that we've seen in our passage, this idea of either being alert or being, excuse me, being sober or being drunk. That idea right there. Well, here's, now we get to a very practical command. Don't be drunk, but be under the influence. If anything's going to be controlling you, guiding you, governing you, don't let it be some substance. Let it be the Holy Spirit of the living God guiding your life forward. So don't get drunk is what it says. So we can see here there's, there's kind of two specific sins that we're talking about. One is this like laziness, this sluggardness, okay? This sleep. And then the other one is drunkenness, okay? And then the contrast is this alertness, this sober-mindedness, this, this really seriousness about walking with God. And our passage is using them in a very general sense, but they also refer to specific sins that people here could be caught up in. Surely many people are all around us are caught up living their lifestyle in these sins. To where if you tell people, hey, come to church at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. We're going to worship Jesus. Notice 9 o'clock is later than the time they have to get to school or work any other day of the week. But what do they say about 9 o'clock on Sunday? Oh, man. I mean, you can see the pain. It's like a grimace. Oh. Right? I mean, let's talk about sobriety. Let's talk about drinking. We're living in Huntington Beach. We got a problem with drinking here? I mean, our most famous uh, landmark just got bars lining up leading to it. I was driving down Beach Boulevard. You can see a lot of interesting things driving down Beach Boulevard. Keep those kids looking straight ahead. (laughs) Driving down Beach Boulevard, there was this big sign written on like a whiteboard with like a marker. Sobriety is boring, it said, outside of a bar. Sobriety is boring. What kind of a life is that? Where you need to go let some substance control you to make your life exciting because without that substance, your life is boring? I mean, these sins are great examples. They're epidemic in our society. The night is all around us. The darkness is thick. And if you're not careful, my friend, you might be caught up in that darkness that is all around us. So make sure you're shining in the light. That's the, that's the message this morning. Go to Proverbs where it addresses both of these sins. Start with me in Proverbs 24. Just a couple of passages as we get into these specific sins that our passage brings up as examples to refer to generally someone's spiritual state. Go to Proverbs 24 and there's a great, great little phrase here, right? 
I mean, I don't know too many people who uh, want to identify themselves as a sluggard. That's a very old-fashioned word. You know what I mean? I don't even know too many people who want to consider themselves lazy. We're all way too busy to be lazy. You know what I'm saying? But would anybody here admit that they procrastinate? Anybody here admit that at all? People like wear that like a badge of honor. Like I'm a part of the procrastination club. You know, why do it today when you can do it tomorrow at the last minute? I mean, people, uh, people will talk openly about this in our culture. And, every, and what do we all say when they say it? Well, you guys are doing to me right now. Oh, yeah, I can relate to that, bro. I mean, that's what we all do, right? We're like, yeah, procrastination. I've been there. I've ridden that ride a few times. It's exciting, you know. Ah, you know. That's, I mean, this, this is procrastination right here. This is, that, this is what leads to sleeping in, hitting the snooze. The, Pro, Proverbs 24 Start with me in verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. Here's a guy who should be working, and he's not working. And we can see that because his job was the field, and his field is not kept. So I saw it, and I considered it. I thought about this. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man. I don't know too many people who at the beginning of the semester think, I can't wait to drop out of this class. Right? I know too many people who think, I can't wait to lose this job because I skip too many days. And I don't work hard enough. Don't put in enough hours. Don't do the overtime that they want me to do. You know, this is how it starts. I just, I'm just going to take a little break right now. I'll just get to that tomorrow, see. I could just put that off, just a little bit of sleep. You know what, if I don't uh, wake up at that time this morning, I can still wake up at that time and make it right. And look, poverty comes upon you like a robber, want like an armed man. What do we think is, is, is sleep, is, is this kind of careless attitude? It's kind of like I don't really care enough to work hard, but I'm just going to kind of do what feels good to me. Is that pervasive in our culture? Are we maybe here this morning in danger of making that a lifestyle? Let's be careful about that. Let's, let's, let us be awake, it says to us here this morning. And I can remember, uh, I, I'm saying some of these specific sins, the reason I'm getting into it is on behalf of all the moms out there. Uh, I'm trying to get all the, all the moms that are going and having to wake up uh, kids that don't want to get up out of bed. I've sat down uh, with some moms and, and their daughter, their son, who's like a young man or woman coming of age. And there's like a fight going on every morning at that house about that person, whether they're going to get out of bed or not. I mean, even something as simple as we clearly have to leave the house by this time, so we all agreed that we should wake up at this time, and it starts World War III at many houses. Maybe you've lived through, maybe you're a survivor of one of those battles. Right? Maybe on both sides even, right? See, I mean, that, that's where we're at. That people would be at war with their own family over what? Their sleep. That they would disregard their parents over what? Their own feeling good. It's all around us. Let's make sure it's not in us. That's not, let, let's let us be awake, it says. Now, let's talk a little bit about drunkenness, okay? Uh, right over here in the next chapter, Proverbs 23, a vivid description of drunkenness. Look at Proverbs 23, verse 29. And let's just make the distinction, because maybe somebody's thinking about this. Lots of things we've got to be real clear about here this morning. 
Am I saying it's a sin for somebody here to have a drink? Is that what I'm saying this morning? No, we're talking about getting drunk here this morning. We're talking about having more drinks than you know you should have. Or not being careful about how many drinks you are having so that you end up under the influence of alcohol. Which the whole world, though all about beer and alcohol and wine and getting drunk, is very concerned about what you would then do if you got behind the wheel of a car. I mean, this is a major problem right here in Huntington Beach. I don't know if you follow the police captain here in Huntington Beach on Facebook or if you see what's going on. We got DUIs going on all the time, not even just on the weekends. I mean, just like accidents on the streets. You can probably see them as you're just driving around town. Many of them alcohol-related because somebody got drunk and they couldn't control themselves. Here's a description of that in the Scripture. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? And who is the person who's down and out? I'll tell you. Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try and mix wine. Hey, don't look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart utter perverse things. You will be the, like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. And look at the end here. When shall I awake? Let's see our two metaphors coming together here. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Like a dog returning to its vomit. So the person who wants to get drunk keeps going back to the alcohol, to the bar. And I wonder how many times for a lot of families here in Huntington Beach, mom and the kids have been at home and they've been wondering where dad is. Talked to a lady this week who spent a long time in her life with the kids at home having to start driving around from bar to bar to find dad, to bring dad home, alive to those kids once again. And I'm sure even here on Mother's Day, when we bring that up, some of you grew up in a house like that, whether it was dad or mom. Some of you might be living in a house like that right now where drunkenness actually takes over the walk pretty much of the entire family and destroys what God has designed. And why is it that all the jokes start with, guy walks into a bar. You heard one of these jokes before? And there was a rabbi there, and there was a priest there. You guys know what I'm talking about? Hey, if someone walking into a bar is a good setup for a joke, someone walking out of a bar is a good setup for a life. I wonder how many lives right here in this room have been destroyed by drunkenness. And yet Jesus Christ, hopefully, has come in and saved you out of that. And you are now sober and nothing about life in Jesus Christ is boring, my friend. Nothing about having the light of the world shine through you is boring. You think sobriety is boring? That just shows that you are still in the dark. Step into the light. And if you are sober here, if drunkenness was a problem for you and you now live sober, hey, let us be sober. Let us live that way. Let us be alert, sober-minded, ready 
That's the idea. Now go back to our passage. Go, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hopefully we've made this distinction. And we've talked about the specific sins that it brings up. That if you live in sin, you don't know Jesus Christ. Because Christ, everyone born of God, does not practice sin. Does not keep on sinning. Now, eventually it's going to get to the change that has happened here in verse 8, that we belong to the day, so let us be sober. That's where we just ended. Because here's what we've done. Here's how salvation is going to be described in our passage. We've put on the breastplate. We've got some armor on here. We've got the breastplate of faith and love, and we've got a helmet on, and the helmet is the hope of salvation. So here we again see something that we started with. If you can remember, if you were here with us at Marina High School, all the way back, just look back at chapter 1, verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Because these are three attributes that Paul loves to throw together to describe the Christian person. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. And now here we see again these three attributes being described of these people as evidence of their salvation, that you guys have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have love for Him and for one another, and you have a hope now of where you're going to go, that you're not going to be judged, but you're going to live forever with Jesus Christ, then that hope is a helmet for you. And that faith and that love, they're a breastplate for you. And that you're armed now to go out into the night, to go out into the darkness, to be tempted by sin and to say no to it. And to stand firm in the evil day, to stand against the temptations of Satan. So you've got some armor now, it says. That's, a, that's the way we're supposed to live as Christian people. Let's put our armor on and let's stand firm in the Lord. In His strength, in the power of His might, we can stand against sin. See, we got a lot of people still identifying themselves as, as sinners. I just want to encourage you this morning, please identify yourself in Christ where there is no sin. Think of yourself that way and you will see yourself living that way, walking in that way. So you got the armor on. Now, it says something really interesting here. Um, you're going to read these next two verses and we're all going to think we know what it means. And then I'm going to try to tell you that's not what it means. So just stick with me here for a minute. Because this is going to get technical. We're going to get into some grammar. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. It says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the two possible outcomes we've been talking about. Judgment or salvation. And it's through Jesus. That's the difference. Whether you're in the darkness or the light. And Jesus, verse 10, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now, when it says awake or asleep there, the thing that I naturally think, that maybe you naturally think, that I've heard before at, at churches and, and from Christian people, is that, well, that's again referring back to chapter 4, where some people are awake, still alive, and some people are asleep, which means that they have what? What did we learn before? That they die. Okay, so let's go back to chapter 4, and let's look at that, because it uses uh, that idea here in chapter 4. It, when it's referring to people who have died, it, it's referring to people who have fallen asleep. And so you can see kind of the, the distinction here if you look at verse 15. Chapter 4, verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, okay, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Okay? 
and the dead are going to be raised in Christ first, and then we who are alive will be caught up with them. That's talking about the rapture. We preach that. That's what that passage is saying. What if I told you here in chapter 5, verse 10, that the word for sleep is a completely different word in the Greek language? Okay? I don't think it's referring back to chapter 4. I don't think it's saying that some people are awake, Christians who have died, and some people are asleep. Uh, I mean, sorry, I said that wrong. That are awake, Christians who are alive, and asleep, Christians who are died. It's using a completely different word in this passage. Okay? I think this is talking about the dynamic that we just talked about, that some people are awake, meaning they've been woken up by Christ, they're in the light, they're saved, and that some people are asleep, meaning they're still in their sin, that's still the practice of their life. I think that's what this is talking about. And here's another reason why I think that, is because it says we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. Now, if you want to get super grammatical about the ancient Greek language, this is the subjective tense of the verb here, my friend. Subjunctive tense, okay? The subjunctive means coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's possible that this could happen. That's what it's saying here. Now, for a Christian person, is it possible that we're going to live with Christ or is it 100% guaranteed that we're going to live with Christ? 100%. No doubt about it. So why in the world, if it's talking about Christian people, dead or alive, would it use the subjunctive to mean that it's possible, might happen? No, this is saying to two different kinds of people here this morning, some who are awake to Jesus Christ and some who are asleep, still in your sin. Maybe even as we're preaching here this morning, you're convicted by the fact that sin is still the primary way that you live. Well, guess what? Jesus died for you. That's what it's saying right here. We're not at judgment yet. You can still switch teams here today. That's what we're saying. You can still go from one side to the other side here this morning. That right now, Jesus died for us so that whether you've already been awakened to the glorious light of Jesus Christ here this morning or whether you find a, yourself asleep in sin here this morning, you could wake up right now and you could be saved. There's a chance you might live with him. It's not over yet. That's what it's saying here. I think Paul knows that he just threw down some pretty hardcore distinctions of black and white in a gray world, and he's giving hope here that no matter what side, no matter what team you're on right now, here's what Jesus died for, that you might live with him. He already paid for your sin, even the sin that still dominates your life right now, that still controls you, that you cannot stop even though you want to and you try, that sin that's still in your life right now, Jesus died for that, to take it away. To destroy the works of the devil so that you could have a new life so that you would no longer go on sinning. There's an offer of salvation on the table this morning. Hey, everybody, you can come and play for the Dodgers. That's basically what we're saying right here. Okay? You could switch teams. Man, wouldn't it be great if some people switched teams here this morning? Stopped living in sin. Started walking in righteousness in the light. Seeing life clearly for the first time. Go to Luke chapter 21 with me. Let's just go back and end with some words of Jesus Christ here in Luke chapter 21. And, and all these ideas that we're talking about, this drunkenness or sobriety, this awakeness or sleeping, Jesus used all of these uh, analogies here. I mean, Paul has taken all of this from Jesus Christ, and a lot of it is about his return and the idea that he's coming at any moment and judgment is coming. And since you don't know when judgment is coming, you need to be ready for judgment now means you should wake up now and you should get sober now. That's what Jesus is always going to say. 
So here he's talking in, in Luke 21, he's talking about future things, the day of the Lord, the judgment that's coming. And then he says this, Luke 21, 34, watch yourselves, check yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and what? Drunkenness and cares of this life. You're not alert, you're not ready, you're not sober-minded. No, you're weighed down with worldliness. You're drunk with the ways of the world, and the day comes upon you suddenly like a trap, and it's too late. This day will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus, he talks this whole chapter about judgment that is coming, and then he makes appeal, or an appeal right now at the end of it, in the present. Sober up now. Watch yourself now. Get ready right now before it's too late. Because there's going to be people who are drunk, and then the day of the Lord comes, and they're just not ready, see. If you, if you were going to battle tomorrow, you were putting armor on, because you were going to go fight in a war. Would you be drinking tonight if you were going to battle tomorrow? No, you'd be sober-minded. You'd be ready. He's saying, stop getting drunk. Because the day of the Lord is coming, not just even talking about the specific sin of drunkenness, but drunk on the world, on the cares of this life, intoxicated under the influence of this evil, present, sinful age. Don't let that control your thinking, your thoughts, your action, your lifestyle. Go to Luke chapter 12. One of the things that we see from Jesus all the time is he tells these stories about a master who put his servants in charge and then the master went away and the servants didn't know when the master was coming back. Who's heard one of those stories before? They're throughout the Gospels. All of those stories refer to the day of the Lord when the master's going to come in judgment. And the question is, will the servant be ready and sometimes we take that to mean like, will, what exactly thing will I be doing when Jesus comes back? And we can think about it like that if we want. But really, when it talks about readiness, it's talking about, are you awake or asleep? Are you sober or are you drunk? What's the state of your soul? Are you walking in the light or are you still in the darkness? And here's a great example of that. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Here's Jesus saying, I love this phrase right here. This reminds me of all the sharp dressers I know. Stay dressed for action. I mean, that's a good phrase right there. How are you dressed? For action? That's good. That's good. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Servants standing at attention so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Just live and ready all the time. Blessed are those servants. Man, if you're living for Jesus Christ... Well, there's going to be, it's blessed are you. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. I mean, here's an amazing promise to everybody who's been saved here this morning. Truly, I say to you, he, Jesus, will dress himself for service. He'll have you recline at table, and he will come and serve you. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, let's get back to the, how the day of the Lord is going to work. That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house, left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now here Peter asks an interesting question. Is this just for us who are already Christians to think about? Is this just for us who are the disciples to think about? Look at Peter's question here. And Jesus doesn't even really give a clear answer. Very interesting question. 
very interesting non-answer. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Are you saying this whole master-servant analogy for people who are already saved or for people who still need to be saved? And Jesus doesn't answer. He just keeps telling the story. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that servant will be set over all his possessions. But... That servant says to himself, well, my master is delayed in coming. I don't think Jesus is coming soon. I don't think the judgment is here right now. And begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. We begin to get into how Jesus is going to judge there. But you can see it's very clear. Don't think the day of judgment is far off. Don't think you've got a lot of time and get comfortable here in the world and get drunk on what's going on around you and the sin that's intoxicating you right now. He says, stay awake, stay sober, stay alert. There's a call here for salvation. There's a call here for, are you ready? Could you say here this morning that if Jesus returns, if the master comes, I'm serving him. I'm living in the light as he is in the light. I have no fear that I will be cast in outer darkness because I've already been called out of darkness in my life, see? Can you have that readiness to you? That's the point. Who's ready? You're ready if you're living ready. That's how you know. That's how you can have assurance of your salvation because you live the way that Jesus commanded you to. I mean, this is a great thing. Any, any, nobody here is saying, if, we're, if you're on Team Jesus here this morning and somebody else is not here on Team Jesus, there's no way that anybody on Team Jesus is implying we're better than anybody else here. Let's just make that very clear. The only reason we're out of the darkness today, if any of us are out of the darkness, the reason is because is we got called out of the darkness. It's just... Jesus came into our darkness and he grabbed us and he brought us out of our darkness. That's the only reason anybody here is saved here this morning. Because Jesus, the light came into the darkness and the darkness could not overtake it because the light exposed the darkness. That's what happened to us. See. In fact, there's a verse that says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. I, I said we'd end with the words of Jesus, but let's just go to 1 Peter chapter 2. All right, Because we just got to see this. I mean, it says this beautiful phrase here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says that it describes those of us who are Christians. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. You're the Jesus people. And here's what we're supposed to proclaim. Here's what I'm supposed to preach here this morning. I'm supposed to preach to you the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And let me tell you, if you're in the light, if you're in the darkness right now and you're wondering, well, what would it be like to be in the light? Here's what people in the light do. They marvel. That's what they do. They look around at how their life is changing and they're starting to do what is right. They look around at the way God has worked in their life and they're just in awe of what God has done in them. 
and they worship him and they praise him and they give him the glory. As it says here in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And they, they praise Jesus Christ for being that salvation. And I just know right now, here this morning, even here's where we're at, even at the 9 o'clock service at church, we got people who came in here and they were asleep. And they were drunk. We got people in this room right now this morning who are still walking in the darkness. And I say, if you can hear the call of Jesus Christ to you in that darkness this morning, maybe you didn't even know you were in the darkness. You thought you were saved. But if you look at your life, you're still in the practice of sin. If you see that you're in the darkness here this morning, can you hear the call of Jesus and come out of that darkness today? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great from going to somebody who's never known the mercy of God to knowing his mercy? Wouldn't it be great to be a person on your own on the day of judgment to one of Jesus' people on the day of judgment where he will claim you and own you and call you one of his children of light because you have the light because you're in him who is the light of the world? And I would love to see you get saved here. We're going to have a worship night next Sunday night. We're coming back for an extra time of worship as we conclude our look at the future. Wouldn't it be great if there's somebody here this morning who's never worshipped Jesus before? Because they've still been in the practice of sin. And next Sunday night, they're here in the front row, just in the light, seeing everything like they never have before. Marveling at how did I get here? Because I grew up in so much darkness. How did I get into this light? Praise Jesus that he is the Savior of the whole world, that the offer of salvation is possible. It's on the table for everybody. Whether you've already been awakened, let's praise the Lord together. But even if you're asleep here this morning, you might live in him. Come to him. Find a life that I promise you will never be boring. Let us pray together. God, we thank you so much for this word. And I know it's a, it's a straightforward word here this morning. It's a challenge, God, for, for people who have been born into sin, for us to think of it this black and white, that there's only light and darkness, that there's only night and day, God. It seems like we want to create another category. God, maybe some people in their minds, even right now, they're, fighting against that thought because that's not how they've experienced it. God, I just pray that you will let your word speak into people's lives, that you will shine the light of your truth into our hearts here this morning. And that those of us who have come into the light that we could affirm here that Jesus is the light of the world and that the reason we no longer walk in darkness is because we have the light of life and that we will marvel at his wonderful light and we will give Jesus all of the glory and we'll live that way. Let us be awake. Let us be sober. Let us live in the light. And God, for those who find themselves in the darkness here this morning, maybe their profession would be that they are a Christian, but the practice is still not walking with Christ. God, let them come to him this morning. Let them talk to someone after this service. God, draw people out of the darkness and into the light that we might worship you, that we might be ready so that when the dark day of judgment does come, that we will be up in your glorious light worshiping you, seeing that Jesus really is the light as we see his glory all around us. God, thank you for teaching us through your word. Work on our hearts here this morning, we pray, as we sing now how Jesus paid it all, how he died for us, God. Let our hearts overflow with praise. We sing this in Jesus' name. Amen.